Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Good morning. Invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I'm thankful for what we've heard this morning already from Brennan and from Wayne about remembering Jesus and loving Jesus. Uh, those two gentlemen were uh, not only preached the word faithfully, but they were um, wise in picking one verse to preach, uh, whereas I want to preach half the book of Romans. So we'll see how this goes. Um, my topic this morning is obeying Jesus. Uh, if you are a Christian, your life is to be marked by obedience to Christ. Wayne just preached to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 uh, about a curse on those who do not love Jesus. And it was Jesus who said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And there are some Christians who are too uncomfortable with, or excuse me, too comfortable with disobedience to God in their lives. And what you need is the Spirit of God to prick your hearts and make you uncomfortable with your sin. By God's grace, he may use his word this morning to do that. But anytime we talk about obedience, it's, ve it's very, very important that we ground that obedience in the gospel. This has to be a gospel-motivated obedience. This is not, let me try to do all I can and work hard to get God to love me. So we are here in Romans chapter 5, verse 18, and we're going to ground this idea of obedience and this need for obedience in the gospel. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is comparing Adam and Christ, and each of their lives has implications for all of humanity. Adam's life was marked by disobedience to God, and that disobedience brought sin and death. Jesus' life was marked by obedience to God even unto death, and that life of righteousness provides forgiveness and salvation for all who would believe. That's the gospel, right? In Adam, all of humanity fell into sin and ruin, and the law, Paul says there in verse 20, was given to show us just how bad our sin was. The law provides a standard for us to measure ourselves and see just how far we come short. Open God's word and read, and you should come to the conclusion, I'm that sinful. I'm that sinful? And he is just that gracious, right? Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That is where sin abounded, grace superabounded. And as our understanding of sin increases, so does our understanding of God's grace. Now, it is important we understand, this, th we have to understand obedience to God is absolutely necessary for someone to be saved. Absolutely. Not just some obedience, but perfect obedience. And the miraculous grace of the gospel is that we who have not obeyed are saved by the obedience of another. By one man's obedience, Paul says, many are made righteous. 
Our future is eternally secure with God forever because Jesus obeyed the Father, and his perfect obedience is credited to our account. So, is that the end of the story when it comes to obedience for the Christian? Not at all. We can't just stop there. It's very likely that some who hear the biblical gospel of grace will conclude, well, then our obedience to Christ doesn't matter. It's his obedience, right? Sin really isn't that big a deal. There's no reason to get too concerned about holiness or obedient living. We're living in grace, right? And some people concluded that when Paul preached the gospel, and we know that because of Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Look there in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So how does Paul deal with this idea that if, since we're saved by grace and it's by the obedience of another, that, our, that obedience to God for us doesn't matter? How does he deal with it? Notice what Paul doesn't say here. He doesn't say, if you keep on sinning, then maybe you aren't a true Christian. Although, that is true right? Someone whose life is just marked by sin and ungodliness, the real problem might be you're not truly born again. But Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, you better stop sinning or else God will punish you. Although that too could be the case, right? The Bible says that God disciplines those whom he loves. Paul doesn't say, how, how could you disappoint God like that? Although it's true that our sin grieves God's spirit, right? But what does Paul say here? How does he combat the idea that obedience to Christ is unnecessary for the Christian? He ties it to your new identity in Christ. That's where he goes. Paul's saying here in Romans 6 that your conversion to Christianity was a death, a death to self and a death to sin. When you became a Christian, you died. Your old you died and the new you was born. A resurrection took place. When you became a Christian, the old man of flesh died and the new man of the spirit came to life. And we demonstrate this, we demonstrate it in water baptism, right? You go down, dying with Christ, and you come up, raised with Christ. It's a, it's a sign of what has already taken place within, death and life in Christ. And so we're raised, verse 4, to walk, he says, in newness of life. That new life is no longer defined by sin. It's no longer enslaved to sin. This is no longer who you are. Your person has changed. You, you have a power over sin that you never had before. This is what Paul says in verse, down in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So let me ask you a question. Should Christians refer to themselves as sinners? I think there's two ways to answer that question, two biblical ways to answer that question. Certainly, we believe that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we're all sinners, right? Paul himself called himself the chief of sinners. And yet, there's another way that the Bible uses that idea of being a sinner to describe what we once were, but what we are no longer, because we are saints. We're new. We're no longer defined by sin like we once were. We are those over whom sin has no power. 
According to Paul, you're a new, your new identity in Christ is the key to your obedience in Christ. Act like who you already are. You are free from slavery to sin. Now act like it. And this is what he says. The last two verses we'll read this morning. Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. How ironic that verse 14 a verse that's given in the context of uh, an argument for putting off sin would so often be twisted into an excuse for sin. Ah, I'm under law. I'm not under law. I'm under grace, right? People use those words sometimes uh, when they have become too comfortable with the lack of their own obedience to Jesus. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. And Paul says, yeah, you are under grace, which is why you need to put off sin. If you were under the law, sin would still have dominion over you. But now that you're under grace, you've been given the power to put off sin. You've been born again. Now you have a new heart and a new ability to obey Jesus. So the question this morning is, are you keeping Jesus' commandments? If your life is not marked by obeying Jesus, then what you need is not a New Year's resolution You need a recognition of who you are in Christ. If you belong to him, you have the spiritual resources to obey him. You won't obey perfectly this side of heaven, right? But if you're a Christian, your old self died. You have new life in Christ. And since you are under grace, you have the power to obey. So my prayer for us in 2024 my prayer for myself, my prayer for all of you is that we would rest in and trust in the grace that was shown to us in Christ. He obeyed in our place. And then by that very same grace, we would reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God and live in joyful obedience to Christ. Let's pray. Congregation, I invite you to take just one moment to thank the Lord and praise the Lord for what Jesus has done for you, living the perfect life that you could not live so that you could be accepted by God. Take a moment and praise him and thank him. And now, congregation, I invite you to take another moment and call out to the Lord and ask him to help you to live out your identity in Christ. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You are free in Christ. And so now pray and ask him for the strength this year to grow in grace, to grow in obedience out of love for him. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the grace you have demonstrated to us in Christ.
And Lord God, we ask you for the grace this year to grow in our likeness to Christ, to grow in our obedience to Christ. We want to honor and glorify you this year. We pray that you would enable this to happen for Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.